Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Bhutan Dhammang Sankhang Namasami So I wanted to speak today a little bit more on what Ayananda Bodhi mentioned yesterday evening about the, the image of the, you know, the little egg cup. Uh, full of water with, with salt in it, how much more salty that water is that if the same amount of water goes into a bigger container, even in, in a lake or in the river Ganges, you, you won't notice it. So in, in one way you could, we could say, you know, that this is the, the whole practice. We are trying, you know, to... Some, I've heard that from a teacher, her name is Choco Beck, an American Zen teacher. She speaks about the practices A, B, C, uh, to make a bigger container, you know, to constantly kind of uh, take away walls which we have erected, you know, in our minds through conditioning. So it's a process of recognizing, you know, how tight the mind is. And through becoming aware of that, starting to remove some of those um, limitations by you know getting to know them and uh, investigating them, and then they are slowly disappearing because it becomes apparent you know they are artificial uh, conditions which which have been put in place and they can be taken away again. But first of all, we need to be aware of it. And, and that's the beginning you know, of the practice, to notice that we are caught. And uh, you know, we can also say, you know, in the beginning, when we are not yet practicing, our anger has us. And then later, the next point will be when we are noticing that we are able to have anger. So we are knowing you know, anger is present. Whereas in the very beginning, People you know, do all kinds of things, say all kinds of things, and then maybe you know, a few hours later they notice, oh, I have been, been acting in anger. So you know, to be able to catch yourself in the act is already a so-called a progress on the path. And then you know, if we practice for longer and our power of mindfulness becomes stronger, then uh, you know, we will become aware when the anger starts brewing, you know, we because become aware of a certain um, energy pattern in the body, a contraction, for example, or a temperature rising, or different means, you know, how we can uh, become aware that there's a change happening. And then we can, you know, turn up the mindfulness and, uh, you know, prevent ourselves, you know, saying or doing something we later regret. So that's a, a way, you know, how we can um, 
speak about, you know, the power of mindfulness increasing and our ability to, to step back from experience and, you know, looking at the experience rather than getting lost in it. And that's really the, the, the practice in a, in a nutshell. You know, first we are like inside of the box, completely, you know, kind of enveloped by all of the walls of the box and the lid on top of it, it's dark. We don't have, we, don't, we are not seeing what's going on. We're completely in it. And then, you know, the time will come, maybe the, you know, the lid comes off a little bit and there's a little bit of light coming in. And then that's for the first time that we can see, oh, well, we are actually inside of something. Before we didn't know that our whole world was just that. And then we start to notice there's something, you know, which is uh, limiting. And then, you know, maybe the lid comes off and more light comes in. And then we are touching, you know, the walls. And then the time comes we can step out of it and then we stand in front of the wall and we, we can see you know, where we have been inside before. But then we are standing in a bigger box. And then again, you know, that lid comes off and then we step out of that and so it goes, you know, like uh, these Russian doors, if you might have seen, you know. It's bigger, a bigger, bigger space, you know, until one day, hopefully, you know, there won't be any walls left and that's what we could say, that's enlightenment. There's no more separation between the way things really are and the way, you know, we're experiencing it. So that's, you know, um, another way how we can uh, imagine how the practice um, develops. And, uh, you know, I've been in interviews with some of you today and what I do notice is, which is completely the normal process in a retreat, people have a lot of uh, hindrances, you know, coming and clouding their minds. I have the same experience as well, you know, but because I'm doing this practice for quite a long time, I'm not surprised or faced and I'm not thinking there's anything wrong with this because this is just normal, you know. And uh, we have uh, put a poster with the five hindrances in the corridor in front of the kitchen. And uh, it's a very lovely image, you know, how we can understand what those hindrances are, are doing to our mind. And it's... it's um, uh, six different bowls of water and they all have uh, have something extra to them and because of that they are considered hindrances and I have brought the classic text with me to just read it to you so you you have this very clear description of, of what's really happening so the first of the hindrances is uh, is uh, sensual desire or karma chanda and it's compared um, it is just as a bowl of water that is mixed with turmeric or ink becoming turbid then a clear-sighted person who examines the reflection 
of her own face would not see it properly. So in the, you know, in the olden times, people didn't have mirrors, but they used bowls of water to, to look you know, at their face, maybe look at their ornaments or whatever they you know, were decorating themselves with. And then, you know, if there is some color in the water, you, you see, you still see your face, but you don't see the face as it really is. It's, it's colored, you know, if it, there's red color in it, the face is going to be red. If there's blue color in it, the face is going to be blue. So then you're in, inside of such a box, you know, which makes the way things are appear different than how they really are. And if we are not, if we are not aware of that, then we get fooled and our vision is, is clouded. And, you know, according to the Buddhist teaching, what, what confused means, or not knowing the way things are, means not knowing what is wholesome, and, you know, uh, mixing that up with what is unwholesome for oneself and for others. So that's like the classic um, interpretation of what not knowing is. And then the next of the hindrances is um, ill will or vayapada. And it is just as a bowl of water that is heated by fire, greatly heated boiling and bubbling up, then a clear-sighted person who examines the reflection of his own face would not see it properly. He would not see the face properly because of the heat, you know, of the steam which is rising up from the water and also the bubbling wouldn't allow, you know, a face to be really reflected properly in that water. The same thing, you know, if we look at, at an experience under the influence of anger, we see things which are not really happening. I'm quite sure you have had that experience. And then the next one is um, it's um, slot and topper. It is just as a bowl of water that is covered with slimy moss and algae. Then a clear-sighted person who examines the reflection of her own face would not see it properly. So if the water you know, is overgrown by algae and moss, again, of course, you wouldn't see really clearly. You wouldn't see anything because you know, moss doesn't reflect anything back. The same, you know, when you're under the influence of slot and topo, you are just, maybe you're feeling quite cozy, you know, but there is no mindfulness there. And then, you know, some people might even think that they have a really peaceful meditation, but in reality they are just completely uh, not present. And that is not to be, you know, um, mixed up with a real tiredness. Real tiredness is, is something else. You know, if you, if you didn't have enough sleep and you need to rest, that's understandable. But if that's a kind of tiredness which just comes in as soon as you, you know, sit down on the chair or on the cushion to meditate, and then, you know, the mind just gets blank. It's, it's a kind of a defense mechanism. The mind just doesn't, isn't ready, you know, to see. It's a... It's a 
it's masquerades as tiredness, but then as soon as you get up, you feel fine again. You're not really tired. So that's a way, you know, how we can uh, recognize that this is a hindrance. And then the next one is um, restlessness and worry. It is just as a ball of water that is stirred, impaled and whirled by the wind. Then a clear-sighted person who examines the reflection of his own face would not see it properly. So I'm sure you can imagine that, you know, water which is just driven in all directions by the wind, it wouldn't be able to reflect anything back. The same, you know, if we are very restless or agitated, we are not able to really pay attention and see what's going on because we, we can't really be still enough to be able to see. And that's that hindrance. You know, being constantly on the go, constantly running, but not really being able to attend properly to anything because we are not, we are not with anything. We are already, you know, we're doing something, we are, the mind is already at the next thing. And then we get to the next thing, the mind is already at the next thing. And then the last one of those five is uh, doubt. It is just as a bowl of water that has been put in a dark place. Then a clear-sighted person who examines the reflection of his own face would not see it properly. So in a dark place. Of course, again, and that, that bowl of water can't reflect anything back to you because there's no light there. It's the same in our mind, in doubt, not being able to uh, attend to anything because it's constantly going in circles and not being able to settle long enough to be able to penetrate a bit deeper. So that those are those five hindrances. And, you know, they are really, in one way, we can say they are the uh, raw material for the path. They are the compost, you know, out of which we, through cultivation and meditation, uh, wisdom and compassion are, are going to be the, the fruits and the flowers, you know, of this raw material. So everybody, you know, has those five hindrances. And there's nothing wrong with them. It is just, as long as we are not, rec we are not able to recognize that they are present, they are, you know, clouding our perception. But as soon as we are aware of it, you know, by purely, you know, becoming mindful, we, we are stepping out of the hindrances for, the, for, the, for a moment maybe only, and then we get sucked back into it. But as soon as we are, you know, being able to be mindful, we are able to use those very hindrances as uh, material for insight. And as soon as we are able you know, to be set up mindfulness, we are using that which before has been clouding our mind as a means for cultivation and uh, wisdom and compassion. So it's, it's, uh, they are very, very closely connected. Those five hindrances, they can be you know, transformed into what's called the seven factors of enlightenment. 
So those two sets are really uh, very, very central in the Buddha's teaching. And there is a, also a quote I have brought from one of the uh, big books from the Anguttara Nikaya, and there is a quote which says, Whosoever is emancipated from the world does so by removing the five hindrances, firmly establishing the mind in the four foundations of mindfulness, and cultivating the seven factors of enlightenment. So that's you know, the whole path in a nutshell again. There are so many different nutshells you know, the Buddha has left for us. But that's a very comprehensive one. You know, those five hindrances, if we attend to them in the right way, they're going to be transformed in the seven factors of enlightenment. And that's the whole path. And there's also a very beautiful set of similes, you know, how, where the Buddha describes how the mind is once the five hindrances have been transformed. And I'd like to read that to you as well because it's very, very um, beautiful images. So the first one about, you know, when the mind is free of the hindrance of... Um, sense desire. It is just as a person who has taken a loan to undertake a business and that business turned out successful for her so that she could pay off the loan and there would be a little wealth for her to support her husband. I mean, of course, it's, it's written for, <laughs> for a man. Yeah. So, you know, so being free of that you know, I think you know when you're having really very strong desire for something, it feels like, you know, being in debt of something. You, you just can't put it down. It just doesn't go away. It's, there's such a strong pull for the mind. It, it just can't get off it. So this feeling, you know, when you, you have successfully concluded the business and you, you, can, you can put it down. And the next one is about um, ill will. It is just as a person who is sick, suffering, deceased and weak. The food swallowed by him is not digested by the body and the beverages drunk afflict the stomach. After some time he would be well, healthy and strong. The food swallowed by him is digested by the body and the beverages drunk do not afflict the stomach. So, you know, after having been sick, sick with ill will, you know, the, it's, it's over and, and the person is again in good health and enjoys whatever the person is doing. Whereas, you know, under the influence of ill will, everything is just colored by that. And then the next one is about uh, slot and topwa again. It is just as a person who is a slave, sent around and commanded, dependent and unable to act as he wishes. After some time he would no longer be a slave, not be sent around, not be dependent, and be able to act as he wishes. So being released from slavery, you know, slot and topwa. They are just like completely under under it.
And then the next one is about um, restlessness and worry. It is just as a person who has the hands fastened behind with tight bonds. Being freed from it, he would be well at ease, without fear and safe. You know, someone released from, from prison. You know, being no longer bound to this constant, you know, going and restless, going back and forth, thinking about this, thinking about that, thinking about the future, regretting the past, being afraid in the present. And the last one is um, doubt. It is just as a person who goes from danger to security, having journeyed from a place of famine he turns to a place of abundance. So you know, when the mind is under influence of doubt, it can't really benefit. It can't really find uh, a place to abide. And then when the doubt has been cleared, by, for example, you know, just either going to ask for advice or reading, reading up instructions or just investigating, then the doubt falls away and then there's, we have arrived at the feeling of what a mind is, you know, being released from that hindrance. So that's all quite, you know, apt images, which can give you like a feeling for this. And, you know, the scriptures are full of, of these kinds of images and they are quite ancient and, and the language is maybe a little bit strange, but because of that I feel this, they can speak very clearly to me. And I just wanted to um, share that with you. And, you know, in order to work with the hindrances, we just need to uh, set up mindfulness. And um, I know that sounds pretty easy, so it's, it's, not, it's not a very complicated work. But we need to train the mind, so we need to train our ability for mindfulness and meditation. Really, the very simple meditation we have been speaking about, you know, being aware of the body breathing in and breathing out. That's the perfect tool for that. Because, you know, as soon as you are noticing that you are getting caught up in, in thinking about something, which means, you know, being caught in one of those five hindrances, which are, you know, five different patterns of thinking, really, where, you know, the mind can't any longer stay just with the simplicity of, of just being with the body breathing in and breathing out. So, you know, you, you'll be with that for a minute or, or two, and then suddenly, you know, the mind is no longer able to stay with it, and then it goes into thinking because that's, you know, what we are used to do. And, you know, depending on, on your character and depending on your, you know, personality, you might have preferred matters, you know, you, to think about. Some people are more, like, into desire. Other people are more into ill will, you could say. So it depends, you know, on, on uh, the conditioning of of your of this lifetime or maybe of earlier lifetimes maybe you're already coming you know with a certain tendency when you are born 
And you know, those of you who have children, you'll know for, for yourself, you know, you might have two or three children which are brought up in a very similar way, but they have all a different personality from, from day one. One is maybe more, you know, peaceful and the other one is more, is more kind of maybe uh, aversive. So uh, you've seen that, I'm sure. And that's, uh, we would say, you know, according to the Buddhist teaching, we'd say they, that's their past lives, you know, they have come with them and, and their minds have a certain tendencies. And, and, you know, if you meditate, you'll get to know yourself and you, you, you will find out, you know, which are the avenues you, you, you tend to go down, you know, if you're sitting in meditation, you know, not really very inspired, maybe. What, what are you thinking about? And uh, that gives you a lot of information about yourself. And, and then also, you know, getting to know yourself, you get to know other people better because other people are just like you. You know, they all operate in a, in a very, we all operate in a quite a similar way. And, you know, this is a, a big part of the practice is basically, you know, to get to know the way you, you tend to distract yourself from just being with the simplicity of the, of the present moment. And then, you know, over the years, you notice it's always the same thing, you know, and through noticing that, the interest, you know, in the hindrances gets a little bit diminished. You are not anymore so fully fascinated, you know, by those stories because after 10 years or so of being, you know, struggling with that, it's, it isn't the same anymore. So what I'm pointing towards is it's a very long process, you know, and there's is nothing wrong with it. What is really important is, is not to kind of give up, you know, not thinking, oh, you know, now I've been thinking for five minutes, now I just can think another 20 minutes, it doesn't really matter. No, as soon as you notice it, it does matter, you know, that you are stepping out. And then you are again, you know, with the simplicity of the meditation, until you notice that you have been pulled away from it again. And, uh, you know, and that's what the practice is for a lot of the time. It's just that, you know, noticing that the mind is getting lost and bringing it back. And through doing that, you know, on an ongoing basis and not giving up, the mind gains a lot of strength and also a lot of insight. And also the mind, you know, has, has this capacity to, to bear, you know, with, with, the, with that kind of quite uh, tediousness of the practice, how it can sometimes be, you know. And, and, and that makes the mind really strong because it gives you the most important ingredients you know, for the practice is patient endurance. And it, it doesn't sound you know, very much. And you know, there is, it doesn't sound very, uh, very powerful, but it is really very powerful. You know, it is like the, you know, water which is, is uh, you know, running down uh, a mountain. 
and over over the years, you know, it's it's making a, a rut into the into the stone. Even that water, you know, which is so ephemeral, it has a, a, a great power because of the relentlessness of of doing that, you know. And the same with the meditation, you know, of the relentlessness of as soon as you're noticing it that you're getting lost, to drop, to drop the hindrance, come back into the present moment. That makes the mind incredibly strong, because it to have that uh, capacity uh, to to not give up and to to return again and again to the chosen object of meditation is not to be underestimated. You know what that can do for you, or what that can do for the mind. And you know, I I speak from experience because I'm meditating now for quite some years, you know, and I still work with the hindrances on a daily basis. But I, at the same time, I, I I have no doubt, you know, that I have some insight, and that quite a few things have changed, you know, in my mind, and I have learned a lot, and and most of the time it was just simply by, you know, noticing that I was lost in one of the hindrances, putting it down, coming back to the present moment. That's maybe like, let's say, 80% of my practice. And, you know, I don't feel I have wasted my life. And I, it has done me a lot of good. So I just want to encourage you because you might have a similar experience. And uh, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong, you know. It's just like that. And uh, yeah, it sounds kind of, uh, maybe it sounds a little bit kind of uninspiring, but I actually find it uh, uh, inspiring, you know, because it's it's so simple and it's, it's so, uh, down to earth, really, and and that's what the practice is. You know, in the beginning, I think we need to have some real big fantasies of what, uh, you know, of what we're going to experience in our practice. Otherwise, we might not get started. I had that too, you know, and I think it was really important bait, you know, to get me into the arena of the practice. But once you're in, you know, and you have had some benefit, then actually it reveals itself it isn't that maybe you know kind of flamboyant and uh, wonderful and so on as you thought it would be but you already you know have benefited from it so there's enough uh, interest to just keep on going you know and then there can be very long stretches of, of not much happening but if we keep on attending to the practice in this very basic way the mind gains a lot of strength from that. Because it isn't anymore so dependent, you know, on special effects. It can bear with the simplicity and with the ordinariness of the practice. And that's, you know, that strength then you can bring into your daily life. And that's where, where we are practicing, you know, we are practicing so that our daily life gains more sanity and more, and more strength and we have more capacity, you know, to to stay in a wholesome 
way to relate in a wholesome way to what's ourselves and to what's others. And that really comes from the very simplicity of uh, what I've just been speaking about, you know, recognizing that you are getting lost in, in one of the hindrances and then just putting it down and being fully in the present moment until the next recognition comes. And, uh, you know, if we are doing this, you know, if, if we are recognizing, for example, oh, you know, I have been, I've been lost. And, you know, by adding mindfulness, it's not like that we are suppressing that. It's not, you know, it's not taking, it's not by um, not doing something, but it's more like you are adding something. You know, you're, for example, you're lost in a hindrance, then you're adding mindfulness. And then you, that moment when you are adding mindfulness, the hindrance is just kind of falling, falling apart. And then, you know, you, you notice, oh, you know, there is no hindrance present right now. And then, you know, that's in, on this poster in the corridor, that's the sixth bowl of water, which is like a bowl of clear water where there is no coloring, there's no bubbling, there's no wind, there's no algae, there's no darkness. There's just the simplicity of, of the bowl of water, which can reflect back, you know, clearly what's happening. And it's also very important to recognize, you know, if there's no hindrance present. To familiarize yourself, you know, with the clear mind, the luminous mind. You know, the mind which is able to see the way things really are. And, you know, the more we can abide in that, in that mind, the more, you know, we familiarize ourselves with uh, why we are practicing, you know, because we want to prolong these uh, moments of being able to rest in the luminous mind. And, you know, in the beginning it might just be, you know, just like dipping into it, like, for a moment, when there is no hindrance and the mind is just clear. And then, you know, you get pulled off again. And then you just, you come back to it. And through recognizing, you know, the luminous mind, the clear mind, we're strengthen, strengthening our familiarity with that mind. And that's really uh, another way, you know, how we can describe what the practice is all about, to familiarize ourselves with that clear mind, you know, which is able to reflect the way things are to us back in a very simple way. So, you know, recognizing it and then being with it as long as possible, and then we get, we fall off again, and then coming back to it again. That's another way, you know, how we can describe what we are doing in the meditation. For example, you know, when we are speaking about, you know, you're aware of the body sitting and breathing in and breathing out, if you're just fully with that, without, you know, going into thinking, 
That's a, a moment of experiencing the clear mind. And, and through the meditation practice and all the simplicity of that, you, you can strengthen your, your, your familiarity with it. It's, it's a way of cultivating that connection. You know, the same when you're going to a gym and you train your muscles, you know. That's the same thing, by coming back to it, attending to it again and again. Your capacity to abide in that mind becomes stronger. And, uh, you know, the seven factors of enlightenment, which we are cultivating through the practice, which are basically the, you know, the opposite of the five hindrances. They are starting with, uh, you know, with mindfulness. And then if we are attending, you know, to our experience with mindfulness, uh, it starts to open up to us. Like a, you know, like a, you could say like a flower, you know. But just attending to it, you, you, we don't have to do anything in particular. We just you're just mindful and fully attending and then you start to slowly, slowly see, you know, deeper and deeper under the surface of experience. And it just, you know, we just need to start with it and not stop. And the process takes care of itself. And I think that's very, you know, important to uh, know that, you know, we don't have to kind of you know, invent anything. We just need to. Uh, we just need to be fully there, and then allow, you know, reality to kind of show itself. Allow the world to speak for itself, because usually we tend to speak for the world, and we tend to comment on everything, what we are experiencing, to make a like a story on top of it. You know, and this is what the hindrances are all about. They are making stories about everything. But the practice is really about just attending and allowing you know, the truth to, to show itself. And uh, this is something you know, we really need to train ourselves in because it doesn't seem to come easily because we, we, we are addicted you know, to to thinking. So, you know, it's, it's uh, those, those um, five hindrances, sense, desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, and um, doubt. Yeah, they are the, the five hindrances, they are the raw material for the practice. And there's this uh, beautiful saying, you know, no mud, no lotus. So if we don't have those five hindrances, then we wouldn't have anything, you know, to actually get started with. We wouldn't have anything, you know, to learn from. So they are, they are we can't afford, you know, to uh, not pay attention to them. That's where the whole path starts with them. And then, you know, they become our raw material for transformation. 
and they are you know transformed into the seven factors of enlightenment and I just want to mention them shortly we can speak about them at another time the first one is uh, mindfulness so that's the first one you know in order to step out of the hindrance set up mindfulness and then attending to the hindrance with interest which would be the second one investigation and then you know if uh, we attend to the hindrance with with interest then um, energy is uh, there this is the third one of the seven factors of enlightenment and then you know if we if we are attending to the hindrance with interest and with energy and then you know we start to oh we start to recognize you know that we are start to recognize we can do this we can some clarity starts to arise and then uh, joy arises because we we feel you know we are practicing we are starting to see and then when joy arises um, tranquility is the result of joy because we no longer you know we're not dependent anymore on kind of getting lost in stories there's just joy and uh, you know stillness for just being with what is we don't need to distract ourselves any longer and then if there's this joy and tranquility then the mind can focus and can really stay with the object for some time and then a certain equanimity also arises and then if there is equanimity there can be again you know more mindfulness and it's it's like a um, a circle you know which becomes more and more more and more strong and we have more and more capacity you know to go into the depths of our experience the equanimity you know the mind can stay steady can apply more mindfulness can investigate deeper and then there is more energy there's more joy because the clarity increases and then through that joy you know there's more tranquility and more stillness and the mind can focus more strongly and then equanimity becomes stronger so it's it's a it's a you know a, a process which goes more and more into the depths of uh, of reality and goes closer and closer to the truth of the way things are and it all starts with the hindrances so it's, it's really uh, very important to be clear that there's nothing wrong with them if we use them for waking up and not you know kind of just giving in to them and you know through having a retreat like this and having you know very very conducive circumstances to help us you know to to do this work and it's Achan Chai you know, the, one of the great forest masters he, he calls the work is like earthworm practice like the little worms in the earth you know it's they are not very uh, impressive beings you know but they just keep on uh, you know attending the what is in front of them and keep on you know, digesting fully what is there. And through that, 
you know, we, we become more and more familiar with the way things are. And uh, it just starts with what is happening right now. You know, we don't have to go and find anything special. We can just attend to what's happening right now, however, you know, simple it is. Everything, you know, can teach us. There's nothing whatsoever, you know, which can't be used for cultivating the mind. We don't need anything special. Whatever is happening right now is, is good enough. It might be boring, you know, but then, you know, it, because it is very simple, it really, we have to rise up, you know, to be able to stay connected enough. And that is what makes the mind incredibly strong, you know. To be able to attend to something interesting, you know, to something, you know, flamboyant, to something very colorful, is pretty easy, you know. But to attend to something very ordinary is not so easy. And that's, you know, what the main part of the practice is. To just be with the very simple, with the very ordinary experience. Which it doesn't look, you know, very wonderful. But it can have wonderful results, you know, if we can come close to that. You know, the practice is all about coming down, you know, from our head, from our ideas, from our expectations. It's just, just come down into here and now into the simplicity of that. So, that's what I wanted to share with you today. And thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.